When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here on the half of the podcast. Kyle, it is, it's a late one today. This is going to be a little bit painful, but we're going to get through this. Yeah, and this time there will be no visual interruptions like we tried to do just a couple days ago. So it should go a lot more smoothly than it did when we tried to record on Sunday, but this should go pretty smoothly. So you ready to dive into these topics? Hell yeah. All right. So we're going to go over a couple of the Sunday slate games for week 13 in the NFL. We're going to go over two games in particular. So the first one that we're going to cover is going to be the Los Angeles Chargers and the Cincinnati Bengals game. It's going to be a pretty solid matchup of the young guns in Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow in that Sunday game when the Chargers face the Bengals. After that, we'll talk about the Sunday night matchup that is going to take place between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Denver Broncos. It's going to be a pretty solid AFC West divisional matchup in that Sunday night game, so that'll definitely be fun to look forward to. After that, we'll transition into some NBA topics. We're going to go over the absolute domination of the Oklahoma City Thunder against the Memphis Grizzlies. The Thunder lost that game by the score of like 152 to 79. Like, I believe if I remember correctly, the Grizzlies beat the Thunder by 73 points, which is now the official NBA record for the widest margin of defeat for any team throughout the entire history of the NBA. So we'll dive into that a little bit. After that, we will kick it to the New York Knicks and just the inconsistent start that they've had so far this season. Currently, they're sitting at an 11-11 record. They had a close game against the Chicago Bulls last night, and unfortunately for them, they ended up taking the L at home by four points. So we'll kind of dive into that a little bit deeper, figure out what's going on with the Knicks. After that, I talked a little bit about the Phoenix Suns last week uh, on one of our episodes but I want to kind of get Kevin's opinion on just how good the Phoenix Suns have been to start the year so far. I know a lot of attention has been paid to Golden State and the start that they've had along with essentially Steph Curry's MVP case so far for the, this year. But I definitely want to get Kevin's opinion on the Suns' amazing start that they've had this year. And then we'll finish it up with the lockout that will linger for the foreseeable future in the MLB. So both the Players Association and the owners could not come to an agreement for a new collective bargaining agreement, and now there there will be a lockout for the foreseeable future until both sides can agree on a deal. So that is pretty much the episode that we have for you guys. So let's not waste any more time, and let's dive into these NFL games on the Sunday slate for Week 13. So... Start with the Chargers and the Bengals game. So 
give you guys a preview of this matchup before it takes place on Sunday. Uh, the Chargers are currently sitting at a 6-5 and five record when they go up against the Cincinnati Bengals. Currently, the Cincinnati Bengals have a 7-4 and four record, and both teams are trying to figure out some sort of consistency to get back into the win column to get them back on top of their respective divisions. Currently, the Chargers are, I believe, tied for second place in the AFC West. They're behind the Kansas City Chiefs, who are the first-place divisional leaders in the AFC West. And then Cincinnati is trying to get back on top of the AFC North, and they are currently behind the Baltimore Ravens, who have an 8-3 record. So, Kevin, to kick the question to you, this is, a, this is going to be a fantastic game between the Chargers and the Bengals this week. So who do you have winning this game between the Chargers and the Bengals, and why? So I'm, I'm, I'm torn, and I'm mainly torn because I think that both teams are ironically very similar. I mean, you have two sophomore quarterbacks, two young guns in Herbert and Burrow. You have two good running backs that do it on both sides with receiving and rushing with Mixon and Eckler. And then you have a solid receiver core with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. And then obviously you have Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, uh, Tyler Boyd. So offensively, they're very similar teams. Um, and ironically enough, both teams went through their beginning highs and then they went through a two or three game skid. And now they're kind of trying to find their identity as the closing of the season comes uh, to the end. And we're sitting here saying, well, well the, the point of the matter is who's going to have the better defense? Who's going to create a turnover? I, I want to say the better defense is definitely the, the Chargers just because of the personnel that they have on paper between Asante Samuel Jr., Derwin James, Joey Bosa. Um, everybody already knows the potential that this team has in order to make a defensive stop. But I'm going to lead towards the Bengals. I've seen more inconsistencies out of the Chargers. I know the Chargers just had an incredible game um, just last week or two weeks ago when Austin Eckler had like a four-touchdown performance, which was absolutely incredible. But I just have a little bit more faith. I think that you know Joe Burrow and this team, after that dominating divisional victory against the Steelers last week, is going to catapult them into a potential playoff berth. And they're going to compete for this division. The AFC North is far from over. Um, I just think that the Bengals have a little bit more of an edge. I know that, um, like I said, they're, they're, they're very similar on the offensive side, but I'm just going to give Joe Burrow that edge. So I think this is going to be kind of one of those close games probably like 28, 24, maybe between three and seven points in terms of a, a difference. But I'm, I'm, I'm taking the Bengals on top. I'll be honest with you. I think the Bengals win this one. I, I'm going to just flat out say it. I think the Bengals smash the Chargers this weekend. And here's why. And there may be a little bit of recency bias uh, when I make my opinion on this, but I don't really care. So I'm favoring the Bengals because to me, They've just looked like a better team overall from the start of the year up until now. Because I look at the game that they had against the Steelers last week, where they just absolutely dominated Pittsburgh from beginning to end in that game. And not only that, the week prior, I thought they had a fantastic performance against the Vegas Raiders. They put over 30 points against them, and they held the Raiders to 13 points. So the last two weeks, when I looked at the Bengals, just specifically on the defensive side of the ball, They've held the opposing team to 23 points, which is pretty solid, despite the fact that the Raiders are having a solid year from Derek Carr, and even despite the fact that the Steelers' offense has sputtered at times, 
still holding them to 10 points in that divisional matchup, I thought was impressive. And then going into this game, this is a game where I do expect both teams to score pretty consistently. I don't think there's going to be really that much of an issue for both teams to be able to move the ball up and down the field. So I do think it is going to be a high scoring affair, but I just like where the Bengals have been going the last couple of weeks and to flip it over to the chargers. It's kind of been the opposite with them. They had a great start to the season, but then after their bye week in the middle of October, they've just been inconsistent. They've been up and down since then. We've seen the chargers, put on huge offensive performances like they did, like you mentioned, just two weeks ago. But then they played the Broncos last week, and Justin Herbert looked awful in that game. He ended up getting a pick six. I believe that pick six was uh, that pick six was by Patrick Sertan. And just the Chargers could not get into a rhythm whatsoever in that Denver game. And I think this is a scenario where I do think that the, the Chargers can find some success against that Bengals defense. But I just don't believe that Justin Herbert is going to be. I just don't believe that he's going to be able to get through this game without turning the ball over, possibly not just once, but twice. So you combine that with the fact that I think Joe Burrows had a solid year in his second season as the quarterback for the Bengals. I like the fact that they're getting Joe Mixon more involved in the run game. I thought he had a phenomenal game against the Steelers last week. And when you look at the situation that they have with their wideouts, T. Higgins has really stepped up the last couple of weeks. You always have to account for Jamar Chase and the big, deep ball threat that he can pose to defenses that he's going up against. I just think it's going to be too much firepower for the Chargers to handle in this game. So when I, when I look at the score, as far as the prediction goes, I got the Bengals winning this one by the score of, I'm going to say 31 to 27. I think it's going to be a relatively close game because when I look at the Chargers, they need this game to stay somewhat relevant in the AFC West. And I think the Bengals, I think they're just going to continue to ride the wave that they've been on the last couple of weeks. And I, they win this game and Baltimore falters. You're looking at a scenario where you got a tie at the top of the AFC North. And I think it's going to be a pretty solid stretch to see which one of those teams is going to be able to edge out one over the other as we get towards the end of the season. But I think the Bengals won this one in a close one. Actually, what am I saying? I said they were going to smash him. So yeah, you did. Let me, but, I let mean, me, you started going down your points. Let, let, you let me, let me scratch that. I, I I'm just going to say this. I, I think the Bengals win this game. I'm going to stick with it. Just 31, 27, just because I do think that both teams are going to be able to score, but yeah, I don't even know why I said that they were going to smash him. Um, I think you started realizing. I think you started realizing as that was. Yeah, I was a little bit off on that one. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to cap. Um, I honestly, I was just kind of thinking probably more with my heart than my head, because when I because when I look at where the Chargers have been the last couple of weeks, they have been inconsistent. But I can't say that that they're going to get smashed. That was that was my fault. That was my mistake. But I, you know, I, I got to be honest with you. It just the Bengals have looked really good the last couple of weeks. And listen, I think they finally kind of got it together after that horrific loss to the Jets at the end of October and then followed up by getting absolutely destroyed by the Browns in the first week of November. 
and they've responded very well. So I think that bye week came at a good time for Cincinnati, and I think they've made the most of it by putting on great performances against the Raiders and the Steelers. And I do think that it's going to continue when they play against the Chargers this week. The Chargers are going to be careful because if they lose this game, it's going to be a tricky scenario for them to kind of get back into that AFC West uh, that AFC West conversation. I just don't believe if they lose this game, I just don't see them getting back into that mix. I just think that Casey maybe start to pull away in these last couple of weeks. And then you still have to account for the Raiders, despite the fact that they've had an up and down season. The Raiders somehow still find themselves in that mix. So somehow. there's a lot riding on this Chargers game uh, for them. You know, and if the Chargers lose this game, yeah, I think it's pretty much over as far as their AFC West aspirations go. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to be an interesting close to the season for a lot of divisions. But I agree that, you know, the North is going to start to get tight in terms of Cincinnati and Baltimore. And then obviously the West is still tight at this very moment. But that probably will change after the next matchup, which we're going to talk about, which is obviously the Broncos and the Chiefs to close out the Sunday night slate. Kyle, Patrick Sertain has really come out and has shown he can be up there with all top pro corners. I mean, last week having an amazing performance with two interceptions, he's looking like an amazing first-round draft pick for the GM, John Elway, and the Broncos organization. And we know that Patrick Mahomes has been frequent to turn the ball over. So will the presence of Patrick Sertain and the recent resurgence of the Broncos as of late proved to be uh, a little bit of a challenge for Patrick Mahomes. Oh, yeah, I think it will be just because I think defensively for Denver, I think they have the personnel to be able to slow down and somewhat stifle this KC offense. And, you know, to hit the point that you made with Patrick Sertain, I think he's one of the best up-and-coming uh secondary pieces that a team can have moving forward. And he's had an immediate impact for Denver since the beginning of the year. But, and I do think that Denver's defense overall, if they are able to get pressure on Patrick Mahomes, which we have seen Casey allow throughout the entirety of the year, because Patrick Mahomes has been hit more often this year than we have seen in years past. I think it could definitely change the dynamics of this game. And these divisional matchups, even though that we always kind of assume that Casey is the better team, Denver's going to play them extremely tough in this game. So I definitely expect this game to be a lot closer than I think people are anticipating going into this one. But even despite the fact that, you know, Denver has a pretty solid defense and offensively, they've been able to put some decent performances together here and there. I just don't believe it's going to be enough to get past Casey in this one. I think it's just because, I'm still of the mindset that KC has not hit their peak yet this season. It's been so inconsistent this year. Just offensively, they've looked out of sorts. Defensively, they look great some weeks, then they look horrendous in a couple weeks. Like It's just, you really don't know what you're going to get from KC this year. But I do think that KC, with this winning streak that they've been on the last couple of weeks, Patrick Mahomes... He has not turned the ball over as much as he has the last couple weeks compared to maybe the last month and a half or so. I just believe it'll be enough to get by Denver in this one. I don't believe this is going to be a runaway game for Casey. I I think that Denver is definitely going to keep this one close. And I do think that Denver's offense can be able to have success against this Casey defense. It's just 
it's really dependent on which Kansas City team is going to show up offensively. Is it going to be the one that showed up against the Raiders a couple of weeks ago where they hung over 40 points against them? Or is it going to be the team that barely squeaks by the Giants and the Packers when they had to go up against Jordan Love and only scored 13 points, and then they almost lost to the Giants by only scoring 20 points? So it's really dependent on whether or not that Casey's offense can get going. If Denver slows them down, there's definitely an outside shot that Denver can win this game. I just don't believe that that's going to be the case. I think Casey win, Casey wins this one in a close one. I'm going to say 27 to 21. I think this is going to be a one one possession game when it's all said and done. But I do think that Casey continues their winning streak. And I think they just kind of assert their dominance uh, once again at the top of the AFC West. So I'm on the fence again with this pick only because... It's like you said, I was literally going to say I disagree with you completely until you said that it depends what Kansas City team you get. And I say this because the Chiefs have been hot lately. But of course, like anything else, once you put that fire out, whether that be because of a bye or because you rest your starters, whatever have you, you're losing that momentum in which you were building up to this point. So Kansas City is coming off of a bye. And obviously, Denver has been gaining traction, whether that be the confidence on the defensive end that leads to offensive output on the offensive side of the ball. Kansas City was on a roll, and then they had a bye. Obviously, that's good for the, uh, the, the, the health of like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and some of the receiving core. They got a little banged up. But I don't know if the defense is going to be able to maintain the intensity that they have on this four-game win streak or have had on this four-game win streak because of this bye week. So... If you get the consistency that Kansas City has been putting out the last month or so, then I think that they're going to absolutely murder the Broncos because Patrick Sertain can only be on one side of the field. Patrick Sertain can only guard one person at a time. And we all know the weapons that Kansas City has, whether that be Demarcus Robinson, um, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, and a number of other players. And again, like I said, Patrick's only one person. And I mean Patrick Sertain. It's going to be funny. Patrick versus Patrick. This is actually comical now that I'm starting to talk about it in my head and out loud. Um, but if the defense starts to struggle and Denver starts to penetrate the offensive line and get to Patrick Mahomes, um, that's going to put the ball in Teddy Bridgewater, who we know can be a very good game manager. By no means is he going to go out there and win you a game. Oh, my God. Uh, Diggs just got an interception. The game is over. Um, wow. Trey Diggs. Is that Tra- Trayvon Diggs, right? You should know his name by now, bro. Come on. I know. I, I always get it between Trey and Trayvon. I don't know why I always abbreviate it. You, you could do Trey. It works. Yeah. So, yeah, he just jumped the route. It was a duck by Taysom Hill. Guys, if you think Taysom Hill is worth the money that he was paid and you believe that he's a good quarterback in the NFL, you don't understand the sport and you don't know how it works. Shout out to his free agent, though. Shout out to his agent, though. Shout out to his agent. Shout out to his agent. Big facts. Um, he's good in packages and he's good at what he does in terms of being able to kind of like slip through the defense, but in terms of being a pure passer, atrocious. He's a more um, athletic Sean, Tim Tebow. Yeah, Sean Payton needs to cut the cord there, but it is what it is. Anyway, getting back to the prediction, it really does depend on what Kansas City you get. If Kansas City continues their dominance, I think that they actually blow the doors open and this game could easily get into a two-possession game. If Kansas City reverts back to the team they were in the first half of the season, I think that this game could be very close, in which I say that Denver will then edge out Kansas City because Patrick... Mahomes has the potential to overcome a, a two-possession deficit in just a short amount of time. So I'll say that Teddy would manage the game. If I have to make an outright pick, 
I will say that Kansas City wins this game just for the sheer fact, once again, that Patrick Mahomes is on the other side of the ball and that they have been playing more consistent football as of late. But again, if Kansas City reverts back, I wouldn't be surprised if Denver squeaks up and uh, takes a division lead. I just, I can't, I just don't have enough faith in Denver. But, and this is despite the fact that, I mean, we're just a couple weeks removed from them absolutely beating the brakes off the Cowboys at the beginning of the month of November. And it's just, I think the thing with me with Denver is they have these great performances. It was like, wow, like this is kind of a noteworthy performance. And then they follow it up with an, with a dud. I mean, the one game that kind of like strikes out to me as far as like those dud performances is they beat the Cowboys in the beginning of November, and then the next week they lose to the Eagles. They give up 30 points to the Eagles, and they only score 13 points at home. And then after their bye week, they play the Chargers and put on a great performance against L.A. So if you kind of look at the way that they've been playing the last couple weeks, they win one here, and then they lose one the next week after. So the way that I see it is Denver's kind of set up for – an L here just based on the current trend that they've had, because, you know, when you look at the last couple of results that they've had, you go back to October, the, the later stages of October, they lose to the Browns. They beat Washington. They beat, De- they beat Dallas. Then they lose to the Eagles and then they beat the chargers. So, you know, they'll win a game or two here and there, and then they'll lose a game, a, a game or two here and there. It just, it, you don't really know what to expect from Denver. It really is just dependent on whether or not that Teddy can lead that offense. And I know that, that they're getting a solid run production from, what's the one guy's name? Javante Williams. He's really kind of stepped out. Uh, he's kind of he's kind of broken out he the last couple weeks. Yeah, and then you got Melvin Gordon on top of that. So I think they actually have a pretty decent backfield as far as Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams go. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Javante Williams definitely get more reps if he hasn't already in this matchup against the Chiefs. So I think as, as long as if they run the ball and they don't turn the ball over, that gives them the best chance to win. It's just Pat, though, bro. It's just Mahomes. I, I, you know, they live he, and he, die. He's, he's, he's one guy. It's like you said. But I just don't know if that Denver defense is enough to slow him down. It was enough to slow Justin Herbert down last week. And Herbert didn't help himself by turning the ball over a couple times. Now, if Denver's defense can force some turnovers, it changes the game. But I think I think the Chiefs are set up for a decent little run. They've already been on a decent little run the last couple weeks. And I just think it's gonna be more of the same. I don't think that I'm not gonna say that the Chiefs are gonna win out from from here on out. It's just I think once they really kind of find their stride. And I think they're still trying to find it. I think they'll be all right. You know, that Raiders game was definitely a good one that they had a couple of weeks back, but those performances have just been kind of here and there. You might see like a 35, 40 point explosion from the Chiefs maybe once every month, but it's not as consistent as it used to be. And I think this is where, not a, even, not even I th- I think this is where a lot of people are kind of surprised at how challenging offensively this team has been this year just because I think we've all been accustomed to the Chiefs putting up 30 points at will 
And now you're looking at it as like, damn, if they get over like 25, like that's kind of a, a success for them. It's just that they haven't been as consistent this year. And even so, they're still winning games and they're at the top of the AFC West, the AFC West, in which a month ago, that damn near looked like an impossible thing to really predict at that point in time. And now we're, Bird. it's really kind of come full circle and they're kind of back in the spot where I think we all kind of expected them in the first place. We'll just have to see what happens because, you know, if they revert back, it's going to be a whole different conversation come Monday morning. Well, it's just, to me, this year in particular, it's not just the Chiefs, it's really kind of the AFC as a whole. It doesn't really seem like there's that one team that stands out from the rest. It, it does kind of seem like a mixed bag at the top of the AFC because you got the, the Ravens, who currently actually have the best record in the conference at eight and three. And then you got the Titans at eight and four. You have the Chiefs at seven and four. And I believe the Patriots are at eight and four. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say that like one team is like miles better than the other. No. Like you'd probably say out of all of them, you either have to favor the Chiefs or the Patriots. Just because even though the Ravens are eight and three, that team is so dependent on Lamar Jackson. And even though that they're eight and three, they've had some games this year where they've looked shaky. Yeah. But that really just kind of it, it, it that's really just kind of how it stands in the AFC right now. It's just like there's not really like when you look at the NFC, you got the Cardinals who are clearly at the top of their game. You got the Packers, and then you probably got the Bucks right after that. But it's like those teams are clearly better than any of the AFC teams that I see. Just the way that I see it this year. But yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not denying that. That's definitely a fact. But you know, it's gonna be an interesting setup for the next month or so. Just kind of see how this whole top of the AFC works out. Because I'll be honest with you, I think the Chiefs end up as a number one seed by the end of the year. I just kind of see that playing it out because the Patriots got to play the Bills twice uh, for the next couple of weeks. Granted, their schedule gets a little bit easier after that. But the Chiefs have really kind of gone through their gauntlet of the stretch of their schedule. And I think there's some favorable wins for the Chiefs moving forward. And then with the Titans, you really don't know what you're going to get from Tennessee just because Ryan Tannehill has looked shaky since Derrick Henry's been out of the lineup. Even though they've had some decent run run performances, specifically against the Patriots last week, they just turned the ball over at will. And then when you look at the Ravens, they're so dependent on Lamar Jackson to carry them to the promised land. Is it going to be enough to get them the number one seed? I don't really foresee that. So really the only team I could kind of say that's left as far as the number one seed goes is probably going to be the Chiefs. I don't really see another scenario kind of playing itself out other than that. Maybe the Bills. Maybe the Bills. Maybe. But, I mean, even the Bills have been shaky this year. They're not as consistent as they were last year. So it's like overall, it really kind of feels like a down year for AFC, the AFC this year. Maybe that's just me, but that's just kind of how I see it. No, we talked about it before. The power really lies in the NFC this year. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's like five deep, five six. Excuse deep. me, it's really like five or six deep in the NFC this year. 
Yeah. So, but with that said, we are going to transition into our next segment. So we're going to get into some NBA discussions here. And before we get into the Knicks and the Suns, just the starts to the seasons that they've had, we got to talk about this absolute beatdown that the Memphis Grizzlies displayed against the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Grizzlies beat the Thunder by the score of 152 to 79, a 73 point win without John Morant. It is the largest defeat that a team has suffered in NBA history as far as the Thunder goes. Kevin, what is your takeaway from this absolute annihilation from the Thunder? I mean, from the Grizzlies against the Thunder? I mean, it's just dominance, man. I mean, they, they hit their shots. They capitalized on turnovers. I mean, um, Oklahoma City was missing Shagodris Alexander. Shagodris, I always forget how to pronounce his name. My pronunciation skills, if you guys haven't noticed over the last couple of months, is abysmal, along with my spelling. So um, please don't judge me because I'm, like, really slow, and it's also, like, really late. But – you know, with OKC missing their best player and Memphis capitalizing on pretty much every opportunity that they could, and it's it's, dude, when the ball goes into the hole in the sport of basketball, and you consistently start to see it happen, and then you start to hit as a team, and everybody starts to kind of get you know, get uh, kind of share in the wealth or kind of like share in the success, dude, it's contagious. I make a shot, you make a shot, everybody makes a shot. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just that's just how simple basketball can be when people actually make the shots that they do. And it was just a very off night for the for the Oklahoma City Thunder. I mean, I'm just looking at it here, just box score wise. And I mean, first and foremost, 73 points. It's like a 2K number, honestly. But dude, I'm looking at field goal percentage as a unit. They shot 32% from the field. Um, they shot 28 from the three point line. I mean, they had a total of 19 turnovers. You're not going to win basketball games like that. You just, you just really aren't. And I mean, their leading scorer was Lou Dort, Luke Dort, and he's really known for a lot more of his defensive presence and his ability to, you know, make some some clutch shots. He showed he could hit some shots in the bubble uh, a few years back, but they don't really have any offensive options here. I mean, I'm just looking at this and I'm saying, there's that kid that everybody continues to mention. I forget his name. Uh, Poku Zvetsky, uh, he's been featured a few times. I've seen him on Twitter. Uh, his stat line is always kind of interesting. And that's like, that's it. I mean, you still have some talent on the Grizzlies side. You still have Jalen Jackson Jr. You still have Dylan Brooks. You still have Steven Adams. You know what I mean? You have notable players, but almost every single person on the Grizzlies scored double figures. So their efficiency from the field insane and they still shot under 75 percent from the free throw line which is absolutely insane but as a team 62 percent from the field 52 percent from the three-point line they only had 10 turnovers and they were able to capitalize they had 41 assists and 53 total rebounds that's how you win basketball games and again the efficiency from the field in terms of shooting this is just an absolute annihilation. Memphis literally probably did not score less than 30 points in a quarter outside of the first quarter, which they scored 31. The next quarter was 41. The third quarter was 41. And the fourth quarter was 39. Dominance, bro. That's the only word I can really use to uh, equivalent the shit show that OKC put out. Listen, I apologize in advance. I really do. But I'm about to get disrespectful here. 
<laughs> I'm looking at this Thunder roster, and I'm sitting here and saying, who the fuck is on this team? Who? Outside of Lou Dort, you have <laughs> Darius Baisley, Ty Jerome, Trey Mann, Paul Watson. Who? Paul Watson. Who? <laughs> like, what is this? Like, granted, I know Shay, Shy, whatever the fuck his name is. I'm sorry if I mispronounced it. But is he, like, that big of a difference maker for this team? Because apparently so. I mean, he's probably the only reason why Drake showed up to the game the night before. Just because SGA is probably the best thing that's happened to OKC since Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden left. So, I mean, I guess that kind of says something as far as SGA's presence goes. And they missed him because he was in concussion protocol, and then they got fucking waxed by 73 goddamn points. Listen, I know OKC does not have that good of a roster outside of SGA. I'm fully aware of that. But you are a professional basketball team. There is no reason that you should be getting spanked. I mean that seriously. You guys got fucking spanked by the Grizzlies. I mean, the Grizzlies put up their own franchise record as far as points go with 152 points. Like, did you just, like, forget how to basketball, bro? Like, this is, like, this is crazy. It's one thing to lose by 20, 25, 30 points. 73? 73? Bro, like, why even show up then? Why even show up? Like, if it's you're, a G League team. I mean, dude, like, that's awful. Bro, they yeah. only had 26 total I, rebounds. I, I know. I, trust me, I went through the whole box score. I couldn't believe that Memphis was shooting the lights out that well against them. But, dude, they scored 79 points in four quarters. I mean, hell, the Warriors can score 80 in a half. That's the difference. But Jesus Christ. Man, if you're the Thunder, you did your fan base a disservice with this shit. Holy hell. Th- this is an atrocious yeah, uh, loss. I know that OKC is going nowhere this year anyway. They're going to be a top five lottery pick anyway. But I don't remember the Knicks ever getting blown out by 73 goddamn points. I never saw that. Granted, they, they had some bad performances, but this? This is the worst loss I've ever seen. And it goes Dude, to show you- it means something if it's 73 points is the largest the largest loss in NBA history. What do you do as a coach? Like... I, I like, per, like, can you imagine being the coach of a professional basketball team? And this is the shit you see. Like, I can't even be mad because it's just like, yo, least. I, I be, listen. <laughs> do you make them run? Do you give them a bonus to play better? Do you just give up? Do you quit? You, you, you know what I do? I'm like, you got you boys can take the Greyhound bus home. I'm like, you guys don't even deserve the pri- the private charter back. Take the Greyhound bus. And then you could ponder how bad that loss was on the way back. Let's see you in practice tomorrow morning. And I'd 5 a.m. I'd, I'd make him just I'd make him just do freaking suicides back and forth, bro. First hour. It's like, all right, you guys don't want to show up? You guys don't want to play? All right, we're going to do suicides for an hour. That's just bad, dude. That's, uh, dude like, that's bad. Listen, I understand when a team's down bad. You know, typically when you see a team that's losing – pretty bad it's like what 20 25 maybe even 30 points sometimes like like when they're the when it's clearly not their night usually that's typically what you see 
But Kevin, like I remember when when I just pulled up the ESPN, and I remember the first thing I said to you was OKC is losing by like sixty five points. And you, the first what did, what was the first thing that you said? I said no, you're wilding. And then I, dude, I I I think you were freaking shocked. I screamed, guys! I screamed because I I thought Kyle was being an asshole. I thought he was capping, you know, trying to be dramatic or like exaggerating, like oh they're losing by sixty five and they're down like, like twenty. Yo, guys, I open ESPN and all I see is like <laughs> the score so lopsided. I'm happy I didn't have water in my mouth because I thought I was like, I I was like like my face was just in awe and like I don't even know if my facial muscles are used to doing that face because I don't even know the face I did. I'm pretty sure it was something like. But yeah, I, I, like exasperated to the point where I, I was in disbelief and I refreshed the screen. I thought the computer was broken. Yo, I swear to God, I was like, "There's no shot." Like, what the fuck is this? I think it got as bad. I think it got to like seventy-five or seventy-six at one point. It, it got yeah in the bad. fourth. It, it got it got pretty bad. I, Kyle thought it was going to be an eighty-point loss. I mean, it was, it was seven points. It off. was it was on its way, bro. It was on its way, but it's like. Oh my god, dude! Like they're that bad, dude. How do you face your home fans after that? How do you how, how do you go warm up in a layup line? I guess if there's a silver lining to it, there's not many fans to actually be there in the first place. So, I I, I just, I'm still kind of shocked at the fact that Drake actually went to a Thunder game the night before. That was dude. The he had to have been hooking up with a chick, or like he had to have been recording somewhere. Like there's just who the fuck randomly goes to Oklahoma. <sighs> There's nothing to do in Oklahoma City. It's flat out there. I mean, literally, it's just the city, and then it's just like, it's just flat nothing. It's like, listen, it's, when you're a millionaire, they make things happen. Okay, it's it's like Florida without trees. Yeah. It's just uh, like, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, go to, go to the go to go to the next one. They they yeah. they suck. That's it. Yeah. Apparently, you know, Drake's probably coming up with some song lyrics if he's in Oklahoma City. Must be something. Must be doing something. Yeah. I wonder if the uh, I wonder if the club scene is good out there. Must be the only reason he's out there. Oh, I don't know. Whatever. But um, oh my god, I, I, dude, I got so thrown off by the fact that they lost that game by seventy three points. I, I just I forgot we still everything talk, was everything was fucked up. We, we still got to talk about the Knicks. We still got to talk about the Suns. So I mean, we'll dive into that real quick. So, like I said at the earlier stages of the episode, we're gonna kick it to the New York Knicks and the New York Knicks have had an inconsistent start to say the least this year. So far, they're currently sitting at an 11, 11 record. They just lost a close game to the Chicago bulls last night, by the score of I believe it was one nineteen to one fifteen, If memory serves me correct. It just this year, it really hasn't worked out. I think that Knicks fans were originally hoping after the success that they had last year, getting all the way to the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs last year. So, Kevin, to get this one to you, what's really been the main issue for the Knicks this season so far? From what I can see, from what I've talked to my Nick friends, my Nick fan friends, um, it, it's inconsistencies. It's um, defensive liabilities, obviously the lack of being able to score consistently on the offensive end. I know that sounds basic, but, I mean, that's what it comes down to. Um Obviously, with what happened with Kemba Walker is probably no help either. Kemba Walker signed with the Knicks this offseason after being bought out by the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, it was kind of like a, a welcome home kind of thing for him, obviously, with him being from the Bronx. 
And he is now officially out of the rotation completely. When he's on the floor, they have one of the worst offensive ratings. And when he's on the floor for the defensive side of the ball, they have the worst defensive rating. And it's, it's, a, it's abysmal. And I mean, like, statistics do not lie. It is a very, very, very big difference when Kemba Walker is on the floor as a whole. Literally, on a defense or offensive side, the team is a completely different team when he doesn't touch the floor. And it's crazy. Now, I understand what I'm saying is, like I said, very basic. But when you're not capitalizing on the offensive end, um, you're losing to good teams. They lost a close one to Brooklyn the other night. They're losing to Chicago. Um, they've lost to Orlando twice this season. You, you really have to look at it and say, are we shooting ourselves in the foot? Are we turning the ball over? Are we capitalizing on the defensive side of the basketball? I don't know. I, I don't watch enough Nick games to have enough to really sit here and dissect exactly what it is that's going wrong. Now, you ask me a Mavericks question, I can tell you what the fuck's going on, but that's neither here nor there. So I'm just looking at this, and I'm saying they played the Bulls a few weeks back, um, and the Bulls fell short, and the Knicks won. Now the Bulls actually come out here, and they get another close victory, but DeRozan goes for 34, Vucevic goes for 27, Zach Levine goes for 27. Three of their top four players absolutely annihilate the Knicks as a unit. I mean, between two players, they scored 54 points, and then you go and you add the other 34 points, and you have 90 what, no, 80, 88 points between three players? It's crazy. DeMar DeRozan's having himself a year, by the way. Should be somewhere in the MVP discussion as well. DeMar is cooking this year. But on the Knicks side, they didn't do half bad. People scored in double figures, but they weren't able to stop the superstars of the Bulls. Julius had 30. Burks had 16. Fournier had 16. Quickly had 15. And then D-Rose had 16 off the bench. So I'm just looking at numbers here, and I'm trying to make some kind of sense as to what the hell happened and there wasn't bad percentages on the Knicks side either the Knicks shot over 50 percent from the field they shot just shy of 35 percent from the three-point line just shy of 82 from the free throw line and but they had 18 turnovers they only had 39 rebounds you see but the Knicks also had 10 steals so you can really make a case it's it's kind of the flip of a coin here honestly and you know I don't know what's going on. I know Knicks fans were hyped when the Knicks started, I think, 2-0 and or something like that. But you're 11-11. and You're 5-7 and at home in the Garden. The guy that you went and acquired in the offseason that made a big public deal in terms of the media awareness because he was a hometown kid is now out of the rotation indefinitely and is rumored to be on the trade block. It's just not a good look for New York right now. You know what I'm saying? They fell short to Brooklyn, like I said, and that was a very, very close game to where Julius Randle, for whatever reason, I don't know, Kyle, if you've noticed, whenever they play the Nets, Julius Randle's like always livid and always bitching at the refs. I mean, I think the last two or three games, he's almost gotten into an altercation with a referee and a a disagreement. And it's always against the Nets. I'm not even kidding. Like somebody posted on Twitter the last three games against the Nets, and Randle had something smart to say against in each and every game. But I don't know. Maybe they get under their skin. The point of the matter is the Knicks don't look like the Knicks of last year. They look like they're struggling. They look like they're searching for their identity. And it's just, it's not boding well for them thus far. Bing bong. It really comes down to two factors for me. It's obviously their defensive liabilities. And to be honest with you, they just can't finish games. Because when you look at the majority of the games that they've had this year that have ended in losses, they've been within single digits outside of the Suns game just a couple days ago, where, let's be honest, they got smashed. 
by the Suns. But I mean, it's Phoenix. A lot of people have. <laughs> Phoenix is probably the best team in the NBA right now. So I mean, if you lose to the Suns in that one, okay, take that one for what it's worth. But it's like you mentioned in some of these games, just their defensive liabilities have really shown against good teams like the Bulls, like the Nets, even against even the Hawks and even the Lakers, even though like that they beat the Hawks, even though they, that they beat the Lakers, they're still giving up points in the process. And when you're going up against these good teams, specifically like with the Nets and the Bulls and really like the last two losses that they've had, you have to limit their effectiveness in knocking down shots. And even though that they lost these games relatively close, it really just kind of goes to show just like how thin the margin of error is for this team this year, as far as the defensive side of the ball goes, because offensively, I don't think there's any doubt that the Knicks can score relatively easily with Julius Randle, Derek Rose, Emmanuel quickly, Obi Toppin. And there's a multitude of other players on the Knicks roster that can definitely get points in RJ Barrett as well. I don't want to, miss him in that rotation either yeah i don't think he played today did he i don't remember off the top of my head but still i mean rj barrett you yeah, still have no, to respect so. you still have to respect his offensive capabilities on that side of the basketball so overall i think the knicks could be able to work out these kinks in their defense they just have to get the rotations right they just have to get the personnel groupings right and I don't think that Kemba really helped that situation as front as their backcourt as far as their backcourt goes. Because Kevin, both you and I know Kemba is a great offensive player when he's healthy. But we all know that his defensive capabilities, they're just not that good. It, that is not a strength of his game. It's really been an issue that's really kind of followed him wherever he's gone in his NBA journey. And I just can't believe at how quickly that Tom Thibodeau already has him out of the rotation. I was really quite surprised at how quick. We're not even a quarter of the way through the season yet, and he's already out of the rotation. So, unfortunately for for Knicks fans, the reunion with with Kemba didn't work out. I do expect that he will be traded sometime before the trade deadline pops up. But it's like I said, they got to fix their defense. And they got to learn how to win these games at the end. Because some of these games, they've lost right at the end. Because they played the Bulls twice. The Bulls game that took place last night, only lost by four points. But they had definitely a shot to win that game. The Nets game a couple days ago, they were within striking distance. But Julius Randle didn't help the situation by getting a technical foul at the end of the game. That was a really costly mistake that ended up resulting in a loss. And then you look at some of these other games, like the Bulls a couple of weeks ago. You look at the Magic game from a couple of weeks back. These are games that you got to have. And when you're losing games in close fashion like this, it it could be it could be a tough mental hurdle to get over. Just because, like, damn, it's like we're in these games, but it's just they just can't they can't what's the word I'm looking for? They can't execute when the moment is shining brightest on them in those big fourth quarter moments. And until they figure that out, they could struggle. But still, there's a long way to go in the season, so I'm not really too worried about the Knicks as far as they're going to fall out of the playoff picture entirely. But, yeah, they got some issues to work out, but they got three quarters of the season to figure that out. So 
as far as like my panic level goes with them, it's probably like maybe like a three or a four. It's not to the point like where it's like a seven or an eight yet. If they were a sub 500 team and they were really struggling, that'd be a little bit different. But I've seen enough as far as their offense goes to say, no, they'll be fine. It's just they got to work on the defensive side of the ball a little bit. And when you got a coach like Tom Thibodeau, I think you got the right guy in place there to kind of fix that issue. Yeah, no, Tom's definitely going to get them in order. He's going to make sure that whatever it is they need to do will be altered and fixed. Great coach, former coach of the year. He knows how to win in this league. And, uh, you know, it's just a matter of time. Like you said, we're just coming up to that quarter mark of the year. So the New York Knicks will figure it out. I know that Stephen A. Smith was down pretty bad today. Um, he'll figure it out, too. I know that he <laughs> he's Yo. in pain every time they lose, and he's at that game. So I know he was hurting. Kevin. Remember those Knicks fans were getting on me first week of the year. I haven't heard a lot of chatter from them since. What's going on, bro? I don't look at me, bro. I was just home, and the city looked to be in pretty good shape. They needed me. They, they needed me there. No, I'm just playing. Man, um, imagine if they've been bu- – they, well, they're not buzzing of late because the Knicks ain't doing much to kind of get them buzzing. But give them time. Give them time. They'll be back. But um, They never really go anywhere. They just kind of like – subdue they're, 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 they're always they're always talking it's just yeah when they're losing they're kind of talking at like a, a whisper and when then when they win then they start yelling then they i don't start know about whisper I, I don't know no new york they whisper i'm just putting that out there I, they I, may I, talk I, a little quieter just a smidge but i just i haven't i haven't heard a lot of chatter from them they've been kind of they've been kind of quiet so don't worry they'll be they'll, they're there they're coming don't worry but before we get into that whole tangent in and of itself um there is a team that is fucking hot right now and there's a team that knocked off the golden state warriors there's a team right now that is on a historic run i believe what 18 19 games they're up at least 18 they just beat the uh, pistons tonight so they're up to 18 the phoenix suns are just dominating the nba in every facet of the word dominate i mean they are just beating teams down to a pulp and they actually took down the the Golden State Warriors the other night. So, Kyle, is this team for real? I don't think they got a championship slump. I don't think they. I don't think they. I don't think they. They forgot the pain of losing in the finals. You ain't gotta ask me. I know how good this team is. I did a segment on them last week. It's really. I gotta pose a question to you. Just, you know, the Suns have been on this stretch for the last what month and a half? Month, yeah, month and change. It just. How's like okay? First of all, how surprised are you that they've gotten off to this hot start? And the second part is, can they get back to the finals with the way they've been playing like this? Listen, I, 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 I'm not going to sit here and say I'm surprised that they're doing well. Let's put that. Let's be clear. Kyle and I both picked them to be potential return to the final candidates, if not, you know, at least winning the Western Conference in terms of top seed. I don't think anybody can predict an NBA record like this, or not a record, but you know, making history of a run like this at 18 games. I believe they've already surpassed their franchise record for most wins in a consecutive streak. But everybody's doing it, dude. The, the, everybody's playing hard, and Devin Booker's been out the last two or three games. So the fact that this is continuing without arguably their best player just goes to show how well of a team, you know, Monty Williams has wrapped around him. I think that, you know, Chris Paul being the floor general on the court 
speaks volume as well. They have bad taste left in their mouth from last season, falling short of a championship, and they are just out to prove to the world that they're going to do it again. Last year was not a fluke, and they're just going to continue to dominate. They're doing it in multiple ways. They're limiting turnovers in terms of, you know, of their own. They are finding ways to attack the paint, shoot effectively from behind the arc. And, of course, like I said, Chris Paul being in control of the basketball up and down the court, just you just have literally another coach on your team playing alongside you. DeAndre Ayton's continuing where he left off. He obviously did not get the contract extension that he wanted, and he was in kind of a speculation on the rumor mill about being traded. But he's doing what he needs to do grabbing rebounds, blocking shots, you know, doing what he needs to do inside the paint and capitalizing at the free throw line. But we talked about this in the NBA Finals, Kyle. This is a very well-put-together team, and when they play together rather than just Devin and Chris, they can win a lot of games, and they're going to compete for an NBA championship this year. They pretty much brought everybody back from last season. They added Landry Shamit, MVP, GOAT, um, and, and they're just going to continue to play very, very well in effective basketball. So I think that this team is the team to beat. Um, they have three losses in total, and they beat the Warriors, like I said, the other night. It, it, that was a statement win. That goes to show it's not a bunch of shit teams. That goes to show that they're out there to prove something, and they're out for redemption. I think that the Phoenix Suns are, are, are the real deal. I got to ask you this, though, and this is kind of something I was thinking about when you were making your points. Is it a far stretch to say that they have the best roster one through 10? I don't know about all that. I mean, Alfred Payton's on this team. Let's, let's, let's calm down. So, you know, um, I, I don't think that they have the best team overall. I mean, Landry Shamit is their starting two guard. Um, and, you know, no disrespect to him, but that's not somebody that I would really fear. He's a good shooter. Um, he can play okay defense, but there's a couple of players on this team where I'm just looking at it like I don't necessarily believe that that's something that's going to be impressive. And I know Shamit's only starting because Book is hurt, but there's a couple of players. There's, I don't even know this person's name, Wainwright. Uh, who the fuck? Ish Wainwright. I don't even know who that is. Um, uh, Alfred Payton's on this team. Cameron Payne's on this team. And he played very well in the postseason last year and got an extension for it. Uh, JaVel McGee is on this team. Cam Johnson's on this team. My dog, you know what I'm saying? Like that, I definitely can't say that they're, you know, the most well-rounded. They just are effective when all of them play well together. That's kind of the point that I wanted to bring up though, is like, it's one thing to, to look at, at a roster and just look at the names and say, wow, that's, that's a loaded roster. And it's another thing entirely when you see the execution showing up. You know, granted, I'm looking at the box score. Granted, you know, they're playing against Detroit. Detroit is not that good of a team. They're 4-18, so it's not like Detroit's going anywhere this year. But when I look at what they have, and just hypothetically put, like, Devin Booker in this situation, you've got Devin Booker, you've got Chris Paul, you've got DeAndre Ayton, you've got Mikhail Bridges, Jamison Crowder, Cameron Johnson, you even have JaVale McGee, who's a solid role player for them. And then Landry Shamit. I mean, that's a good 8-9 man rotation, my guy. Now yeah, I, I think it's solid. I'm not now, just disrespecting them saying it's trash. Now, now, now to me, it, if I had to pick a better roster at this point, it would probably be Golden State. 
Golden State to me, it, it just seems like that their team from top to bottom is just firing on all cylinders. And they don't even have Klay Thompson back yet. They don't have uh, James Wiseman back yet. It really just kind of goes to show how deep Golden State is, but I do not sleep on the Suns team. Not in any way, shape, or form. The fact of the matter is they're 19-3. and three. And, I mean, they did beat Golden State the other day. So, I mean, that's got to count for something. It's just Thanks, that I'm on the mindset that I don't think Phoenix is getting the shine that they actually deserve because I think the media, by and large, they're just so enamored with Golden State's hot start because Steph is having an MVP caliber year already. And I think that's kind of the focal point with their coverage this year. But I I, I can't discredit the Suns. I mean, 19-3? and I mean, sometimes when you see teams lose a finals the year prior, they can get off to a slow start. They can get off to a shaky start. The fact that they've been able to rebound this effectively, this quickly, it really is a credit not only to the players, but to the coaching staff. Really, Monty Williams is, is the one guy that, to me, is the kind of the, the standout from that, just because I think he's the perfect coach for this team. I don't think there's anybody else that you could put in the situation in the coaching spot that would be better than what Monty Williams is. I just think that he's able to relate and just be able to get the players in the right situation to make the right plays. I just think he's just the perfect fit for this coaching spot for Phoenix. And I think I think that kind of gets lost in translation here. I think like for you and I that that doesn't. But I think when it comes to a larger conversation about Phoenix and their status in the Western Conference and in the NBA to a larger extent, I just don't think it gets enough shine. I don't think it, I don't think they get enough credit for the start that they've had this year. I mean, to almost have a twenty win, to have a twenty game win streak at the beginning of the year is phenomenal. We haven't really seen a stretch like this since when Miami did it back in like twenty twelve when they won like twenty seven straight. No, didn't Houston do it a few years oh, back? With Houston, James Houston won twenty two. Houston won twenty two. I yeah. think so. Even so. These guys are doing it, bro. And I just, I just don't know if they're getting the credit that they deserve or not. I, if they're not getting it from everybody else, they're getting it from me. I mean, I just, you know, I think that they're probably the best team in the league for sure. Um, just the way that they're playing at a consistent clip. And, you know, them winning the last few games without Devin speaks volume of, you know, next man up. So, you know, kudos to them. But again, we are at game marker 22 for them. We are just now at that quarter mark. They have to continue it. We've seen teams go on some of the craziest streaks. We've seen teams dominate throughout the, you know, the beginning and middle of the year. And then after the All-Star break, they hit a wall. They go into a slump. You know, they fall from the seed. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen with this team because how Monty is coaching them. And I've said this a hundred times, and I'm going to continue to say it. When you have someone on the floor with you with the mindset of a coach that has a perfect relationship currently with his head coach, there's no better floor general than Chris Paul to have on the floor when you need a bucket or when a play needs to happen. And when you have a go-getting scorer and a phenomenal rebounding big center at, at, at um, uh, with DeAndre Ayton and great role players, I think that this team is poised for another finals run. 
Uh, it's just a matter of how consistent can they make it? Can they push this win streak through? Does it matter about this win streak? Is that going to burn them out? Do they care about the win streak? Um, I don't know. Only they do. But the Phoenix Suns are definitely no pushover or no fluke team because this win streak shows they can turn it on whenever they need to. And they are very, very, very well capable of dominating the wackest teams in the league and some of the best. Yeah. Your boy Cam Johnson had damn near had 20 points off the bench tonight. So, my dog. It definitely had to mention that. But no, I just, they've been playing phenomenal. And, you know, I think I think it could get to 20, 21. I don't know if it's going to get all the way to like the mid 20s, the upper 20s. I doubt that. But, no. But these dudes, these dudes have been on the for real, stretch. bro. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, the way that I see it is, the Suns, the Warriors, Warriors, and I throw the Nets in there. Those are really the only three teams I'd put as like tier one teams right now. Everybody else was really kind of second tier. But that's just kind of how I see it. But you really, you can even make a point that really it's just the Suns and the Warriors are tier one right now just because <laughs> they really just kind of find ways to just win games. So, but... If I had to throw one Eastern Conference team in there, it'd probably be the Nets. But hey, let's not disrespect the Bulls are right behind them by a game. So you know, it's the Eastern Conference is no. It's funny, man. We talk about it in the NFL and how you know the Western Conference for the NBA is always the dominant conference, and then you know, like for the NFL, it's always been the AFC for the most part. Dude, the Eastern Conference looks pretty fucking solid this year, Mm -hmm. and I mean that sincerely. I mean. There are three teams at, at the top of the uh, Western Conference, being Phoenix, Golden State, and then Utah. But you got about like five good teams in the Eastern Conference that are a couple of games above 500 that are doing very, very well. And one of them is a shock with the Washington Wizards. And I know that we're not going to get into a whole conference surprising team or not, but I just find it funny how you know the power seems to have flipped this year in conferences and multiple sports. But I would agree with you. I definitely think it's probably Golden State, um, excuse me, Phoenix, Golden State, and then Brooklyn. But there are a lot of close teams, um, you know, either tied for third or right behind them in that top five sequence. But before I forget, Jeremy Grant needs to get the fuck out of Detroit. He is literally the only shining star left on that team. He dropped 34 points tonight and shot very efficient from the field. He was 12 of 19, 12 of 14 from the free throw line. Get him the fuck out of there. I know he signed a contract for the bag, but he needs to go out there and play for a competitor because Jeremy Grant's a bucket. Like low key, he's 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 nice as fuck and I love watching Jeremy Grant. Like he's a great player. I think he'd be a better situation. I think he'd be in a better situation if he stayed in Denver. I mean that was a great situation that he had in Denver. But Yeah. I think I think that was kind of an issue of well Jamal and Jokic were like the priority signings for them. And I think Jeremy Grant was kind yeah. of on the chopping block. But and of course, Michael, Michael Porter, Porter Jr. That's your boy, Kyle. That's your favorite player in the league. I mean, my guy got the bag, bro. Got the bag. Bro, that's Kyle. That's, I, guys, that's Kyle's favorite player. Dude, my favorite player might be his agent. I don't know it's, how these agents be. I really don't know how these agents are able to do this, bro. Because these guys are just working miracles left and right. I mean, the fact that 
Michael Porter Jr. can get, what was it? $172 million. But I think the base was 172 and then there was incentives based in that you could get like 205 I think, what, he played two years? Two? Maybe yeah, like he got one drafted like, with Luca. He like, got drafted with Luca. Like one and a half? Like of actually mm-hmm. like full playing time? Yep. I, I mean, I wish, bro. Wish. Had I would be nice. Had I known that, you know, that he'd be able to do that. It's like I said, bro, their agents. Their agents are just, they're just miracle workers, bro. They need an agent Hall of Fame for for contracts like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think another one is probably like remember when Chris Paul got his deal when he was in Houston. Remember that? Bro, that that, that deal made no sense. The oh, back end of that contract was, was so everything. Loaded. Dude, that back end was so loaded. He was getting. Bro, like, it was like thirty nine, forty four, forty six, or something like that it in his late thirty. It damn near got close to fifty. A year, a guys, the guys. That's un, that's unheard of. His agent is the MVP. Period. Man, I, I'm gonna need that guy. I don't know. I'm gonna make some sort of like. Yeah. I'm gonna make some sort of freaking stock investments with that guy. He knows how to work the system, I guess. Take that man to Vegas real quick. Exactly. But before we end up wrapping the episode, we do have one more topic to get to, and that is the MLB lockout fallout. This is kind of a tongue twister for me but yeah so the owners and the major league baseball players players association could not come to terms on a new collective bargaining agreement so the result is is that the mlb is currently in a lockout for the foreseeable future there's no really timetable on when this is going to get resolved anytime soon it seems like both sides are miles wide apart from getting a deal done at this current moment in time and it really is kind of unknown when the MLB will resume once this collective bargaining deal is struck down and they get a new contract renewed. So, Kevin, to kick this question to you, just where do you where's your stance on this whole MLB lockout situation right now? Well, I mean, from my understanding, and guys, I don't necessarily have all the information. I have an article here um, from CBS Sports. Uh, From the player standpoint, they'd like to address that their shrinking share of those league revenues indicated in part by the declining average of player salary, the occasional practice of service, time manipulation. Um, When teams hold back a clearly ready prospect in order to delay his free agency, arbitration eligibility, um, tanking for draft picks and things of that nature. So there are a lot of stipulations in terms of when a player gets called up from AAA, AA, from basically the minors to the pros. There's a limit of how many times they can get called up and down before the MLB team actually has to pay them their full salary. There are a lot of instances in which they will not call them up just to make sure that they don't have to pay them and they'll pay them the arbitration price, which is significantly less than as opposed to them being paid on the active roster or the 25-man roster of a professional full-on baseball team. Um, They're fighting for benefits for minor league players in terms of their pay. Um, There's just a bunch of things in stipulation. I know that Kyle and I had talked about this briefly, and I know that he sees it differently. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that the players are doing the right thing. I'm not saying that they need to be paid more. I'm not saying that, you know, they're not being paid enough. But there are certain instances where, you know, where you're kind of teetering with a, with a person's livelihood, like I had mentioned. I'm mainly focusing on the ability to 
call someone up a number of times and then kind of keep them down low. I mean, for, for instance, there's a player on the Yankees. Um, I always forget his name. I, I know it's just Gil. Um, he was like three or four and O at one point, And we called him up for a roster spot because we had lost somebody. I believe Darren O'Day was shut down for the season or Britain or somebody of that nature. Gil came up and he did what he needed to do, especially while Corey Kluber was out. He won us a lot of games, but in order to save the Yankees money, we sent him back down and couldn't call him back up because we didn't want like, that to me is ridiculous. He's successful. He's winning. He's winning you games and the team is being, you know, the team is playing better. And then you send him down just for a fear of having to make a payment. Um, I don't think that's very fair. You get, you kind of get into a rhythm. You kind of fall into a depressive state. Like, you know, I thought I was doing really good. Why am I being sent down? Obviously they know the contractual agreements as to why they're being sent down, but it's discouraging. I'm playing my ass off in the minors. I finally get called up, but because they don't want to pay me right now, they're going to send me back. Do you know how like annoying that must be for players that are finally getting into that groove or finally feeling like they're making strides in their minor league journeys? Let's be frank. Some of these people are coming out of high school, you know, and the MLB drafts right out of high school. The MLB drafts right out of college. I know somebody personally that was drafted two or three times, uh, because he forwent his first draft choice by another team so he could go to college, get better, and get drafted at a higher pace. But the amount of people that get drafted in the MLB system, I know I'm kind of going off into a tangent, but that journey to get to that professional level is very, 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 very hard to make the active roster on an MLB professional team. Some players sit in the minors for four, five, six years before they see the light of an actual professional uh, major league team. So I get it. I understand. You know, um, there hasn't been a lockout since I was born, 1994. So it's kind of crazy. Uh, nobody gave a shit. Nobody gave a shit when the NFL was in a lockout. Nobody gave a shit when the ML, when the NBA was in a lockout. So I don't know why people are giving the MLB shit for it. Players have a right to fight. The MLB owners have a right to fight and you know protest their case. It's sports, you know. So I think it's justified. Um, not all of it, but. From what I am understanding, in terms of the pieces that I have explained, I think that it uh, it makes sense for the players to, to you know make a stand. You weren't wrong uh, uh, when you said that I had a different perspective on it. So I'm going to do my best to try to make this as sound as I can make it. When that when the news broke of this lockout uh, being announced, I'm going to be honest with you. It was it wasn't surprising. It wasn't shocking. It was just expected. And for me, when I look at Major League Baseball as a whole, and, and I'm taking this as far as like the gamut of professional sports, I've always thought that the NFL is first, NBA is second, and then MLB is third. Just as far as like the popularity of professional sports in the United States. That's how I just, I've, I've always seen it as, but to me, baseball just does not feel the same as it used to. Now, granted, I, I played this sport. I, Kevin, I, I still love this, the game of baseball playing it. It is entirely different than, than watching it, watching it. I get it. It is very boring to watch. And I'll be the first to admit that, but playing it, it is something entirely different. I still love playing the game of baseball. It's just, to me, I think what baseball is suffering from, granted, we've made points about 
Rob Manfred making stupid decisions as the commissioner. But to me, I think baseball is the, the victim of society's just short attention span. Just because the game of baseball, it takes three, three and a half hours to get through the game sometimes. And to be quite honest with you, I don't think people have a lot of patience for it like they used to. I think back 50, 60 years ago, that was different. Baseball was clearly probably the number one sport back then. Back during the time. It's just, I think with younger generations that are coming up, I still believe that baseball is relevant as far as like professional sports goes. It's just not the same. And I think it's largely due into part that I just don't think people have the patience for baseball as much as they used to, because the pace is very slow compared to other sports. Because because ba- baseball really it goes at kind of a meander, it's it's one pitch at a time, it, but it's different than football. Football, you know, you have one play after another, but there's a time limit. In basketball, it's the same thing, but in basketball, there's constant flow changes. In baseball, it's really kind of the same. It really doesn't change that much. You know, when team gets a home run here or there, it changes it up a little bit, but. When I looked at this whole lockout situation, I was just like, okay. That's just kind of like, like to me, I don't think a lot of people really, as far as like major sports fans go, would be like, okay, whatever. I mean, I've always been of the mindset that baseball is in that third position when it comes to major professional sports in the U.S. I just kind of see it in that spot. And I don't really ever seeing it toppling football, the NFL or the NBA. I just don't see it as that. So I know I didn't really kind of go into the whole reason why the, the lockout came to be in the first place. I understand there's a, there's a lot of nuances and there's probably a lot of bickering from both sides as far as the owners go and the players go. I, I mean, this, this, is a, this is a work dispute. I mean, these happen all the time. But to me, it really just kind of is like a microcosm of the state of baseball. It's it, To me, even though that I still enjoy the sport, I still do. I just think it's a sport in decline. And I don't think it's because of what's on the field. I really just think it's it's because I think society just doesn't have the patience for baseball anymore. Just because of the pace of the game. And it is, it, it's upsetting to me. Because I still love the game of baseball. I do. But even I have I've come to accept that, just because I don't think it's ever going to be the same. Just because I I, I think I, I that's just kind of how I see it. I still it's like I said I still love it, but I think this is I think there are external factors to why baseball is not as successful as it used to be. It's not you know granted there are internal ones too. Because of the decisions that that Rob Manfred have made, and trust me, there's been a boatload of decisions that have not helped the game progress forward. But I think the biggest factor is just that I don't think a lot of people just tune in to watch baseball like they used to anymore, and I think it's because I don't think people have the time for it. Not compared to other sports. Yeah, it, you know, it depends who you ask. I love baseball, love watching it, love attending the game. Didn't really like playing it as much, just. 
wasn't really my thing. I played middle school, played T-ball, you know what I'm saying? Played a little bit of high school, but... But, but like, you understand where I'm coming from, though, right? Like, No, I, I definitely do. But, I mean, like, we're, we're, we're talking solely upon, you know, the um, lockout and things of that nature. Like, I don't think people understand... Like, I've always made the argument to me, I know it's less people on an NBA team, and I know that it is very difficult to make it into the NFL as well. Just to make it as a professional athlete in and of itself is, like, within a certain tiny percentile. But the MLB has so many levels within their farm system. Like, there is single A, there's A, there's double A, there's triple A, and then there's the pros. Like, there's, like, there's independent leagues. There's so many different variations of, being in a professional team, like the Yankees have like four or five subsidiary teams beneath them that are within the Yankees organization. So there aren't always, like people have the misconception that when you get drafted, you automatically go to the Yankees or you go to AAA. That's not the case. You know, you go to spring training, if you get invited or you go to the spring training of the minor league team and you have to work your way into getting on that team, it's basically an individual tryout. The Yankees own the rights to your personal contract. Yes, but you have to work your way to get up there. And again, I only use the Yankees because it's my team. To get to that pro level is so hard for an average MLB draft pick is insane. Like the amount of draft rounds in an MLB draft are exponential. So to, to, to make it to the roster is that much harder. And again, I get it. The, the, the roster in total in terms of like every season or every year is about 25 players. And I think the NBA is like 15. And, you know, the, the NFL is a 53-man roster plus the practice squad. You know what I mean? So I, I understand that also. But there is no G League for the NFL. And the G League for the NBA, like there's two-way players usually like two or three of those players actually see playing time in the NBA within that season. Uh In the MLB, you're talking about you have to get through single, get to double, get to triple, and then flirt, which is what they're fighting for right now, of how often you can get called up. There are players that are sitting in this system for almost a decade just to get the chance to get on the professional field. So – this fight, this lockout, this reason why they're pushing for it is, to me, so justified because I know people that were in this system. And it's just so tedious. And you're, the prime of your life just to be noticed is insane. So, you know, to, to fight for more money and compensation for minor league players, arbitration, you know, all of the things that I had mentioned at the top of the segment make sense to me because I think that people don't understand the grind that it takes to make it to that 25-person roster. Well, that's with anything. That's with anything within the confines of baseball, though. So it's like, you know, you get drafted by a major league team. You got to show over the course of time that you could be able not only to, you know, get through the whole farm system and get through you know, the, the single A, double A, and then getting up to triple A, and then eventually possibly making it to the major league roster. It, it takes time. It takes a long time for some guys. And, you know, when it comes to that, that, that style just of progression, it works out sometimes, but by and large, it really doesn't because I think there are some players where I think they know that they'll never be able to make it to the majors. 
But the fact that they're even associated with being within the realm of an actual team, I think that does wonders. Now, granted, are they making boatloads of money while doing it? No. No. You're not really going to make real money until you get maybe to AAA and then maybe major leagues. But you'd have to be a standout player to get really paid. So, you know, when it comes to this whole this whole lockout situation, you know, granted, I don't know all the ins and outs with this, but to me, it wasn't really a shock that this happened because there really wasn't any sort of what I would consider any major developments that said, yeah, okay, like they're they're making progress on getting this thing worked out. It seemed like by and large that just, I mean, it's a gulf between the players and the owners on this one. It's not even close. You know, even even when the NFL went through its lockout a couple years ago, it even seemed like, was it the NFL or the NBA? Might have been the NBA that I was thinking about. Even though that they, they shortened the season, it didn't seem like they were miles apart. It seemed like there were some some finer details where there may have been some disagreements, but this seems like a much wider distance as far as getting a deal done here. So everybody who kind of wants to get their own piece, I fully understand that. But I just don't know what it's going to take to be able to get these these sides back at the negotiating table and really get this thing ironed out. I think really once, once guys aren't getting their checks when they're supposed to, that's when it's going to start really feeling it. Like, because I, I really don't know how long this thing is going to linger for. This thing could linger for months. So yeah, I think I think I saw that the last three lockouts, um, something along the lines of over two hundred days for all three of them, I, which is I mean, insane. You're, you're 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 talking over six months. So yeah, that's a long time, dude. No, but that's that's how these disputes they work out. It, it, yeah, th- spring training's in three months. See, the the thing is, you know, both sides are going to get back to the negotiating table when they're missing out on revenue. That's what will get them back on the negotiating table. Because it, I'm just saying hypothetically, let's say it's April and the lockout is still there. You're missing games at that point. You're missing spring training time. I'm just saying at that point, I mean, it's pretty obvious. You know, revenue is going to be a factor that's going to come in for both sides. And I think that's where you're probably going to see some compromises being made. So I wouldn't I wouldn't really expect anything major as far as the lockout goes until at least next year. I think that, well, granted, we're in December. We only have three and a half weeks until the end of the year. But if I had to say, I'm not going to see any, I wouldn't say that there would be anything, anything significant as far as this lockout goes to eventually ending it. Until probably what, end of January, maybe early February, somewhere around yeah, there. Yeah, it's gonna it's, it's it's gonna be a while because pitchers and catchers is typically the last week in February. Like I think week. so. It's like the third or fourth week in February. So, yeah, it may be a while. So, hopefully, they get it resolved sooner rather than later. But based on where I think both sides stand, no, not even. Close. It's gonna be a little bit. Yeah. 
Damn. Kev, I think we good, bro. You good? I'm I'm good. I mean, I'm tired of shit, but I'm good. Bro, it was a long day today. Long day. Today. Like I said, man, I'm not I'm not even close to comparing. You'd be busy as hell with holidays. I can't even imagine how busy I'll be over there. So let me be transparent here. So if you guys hadn't known at this point, so I work at Amazon as a delivery driver. The last four days of work that I've had there has been uh has been something to say the least. Your boy has almost delivered two thousand packages in the last four days of work there. That's just that's just one person. This is the one little area that I service, like like five, ten, ten minutes away from the warehouse. And I delivered over damn near two thousand packages in just four days. And this is just, you know, primetime Christmas shopping right now. So if I've delivered damn near two thousand, just kind of think of like how many packages have been delivered just from my company and then everybody like in my warehouse. And then you kind of like widen it out to the entire state. You're talking about millions upon millions of packages every single day. It's just wild. It's wild. Yeah, no, I'm just tired. I'm just old. That's yeah. me. Like the work that I did today, it like, I could literally feel the gray hairs popping out of my skin. I felt gross. I felt old. It's disgusting. My back hurts. My neck hurts. I'm like 26 going on 46. I'm like, I'm not happy about this. You know what that means? Going to sleep like a rock at night. Oh, with pleasure. With pleasure. I'm going to be out once we finish this. So, Kev, you got anything else to add here before we wrap this up? Uh, No, man. I, I know that we've had some issues. Um, We were supposed to post some of some stuff on Sunday, but we were having some uh, some yeah. connection issues. So Kyle was only able to post some segments. Um, they're not a full episode, but you know, God willing, everything comes out. Okay. With the editing, uh, the audio should be great. So we should have another full, uh, day in terms of, you know, content for tomorrow. We'll come prepared, obviously Sunday, ready to go to break down the the slate of the games and do what we normally do. So, you know, back to your regular scheduled programming. So, um, outside of that, as always, guys, we appreciate everything. It's been one hell of a year for both me and Kyle individually as people, but together as a podcast, we've seen so much growth. Um, one video was absolutely insane and, you know, the rest of the journey has been so much fun, but we couldn't be here without you guys. Mm -hmm. So a lot more to come in 2022 upgrades on both sides, whether it's my audio with my headphones, Kyle with the camera, uh, whatever it is we need to do to take this podcast to the next level. We're going to make sure that next year is going to be the focal point where it takes off. I got really nothing else to add. I think you pretty much hit it on the head there. So, you know, like always, as I try to say, you know, wherever you guys were getting us from, whether it was from listening to us on the audio platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts or watching our videos on YouTube, we definitely appreciate you guys tuning in. Like Kevin said, uh, we'll be back on Monday. We'll just go over some of the uh, the big Week 13 performances in the NFL, and then I imagine we'll probably sprinkle in some NBA topics as well, as we always typically do. So definitely appreciate you guys tuning in, and uh, we'll see you guys next week electric acid welcome to tuning into sound well-being where we harmonize your mind body and soul i'm amanda your sound therapy expert and i'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound 
Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women.